Gather around and join KPA for this week's safety meeting, the podcast that makes you smarter about current trends and best practices in workforce safety. On today's episode, one of our KPA district team leaders, Zach Pacillo, joins us for a conversation on what OSHA and other regulatory agencies are focusing on for 2022 and what companies can do to avoid getting dinged by regulators. I'd love to start us off with some context. Can you tell me a little bit about your day-to-day at KPA? That rhymed. (laughs) Yeah, sure. So with KPA, maybe a little bit about KPA. I don't even know if we need to go into that, but uh, I mean, KPA is an environmental health and safety company that uh, it's really a solutions company more than just environmental health and safety. We're a compliance company. Uh, We've been around for, I want to say about 30 years now. Uh, kind of spawned in Southern California and kind of took off from there. But I've been with KPA for about 15 years now. And currently, I have about three different roles with KPA, I feel like. Uh, so my day-to-day can be impacted by anything that's going on within one of those different realms. Uh, so first and foremost, I find myself to be a field consultant. Uh, I'm one of the people that is the boots on the ground. I go out to the different clientele that we service. Uh, for my own particular region, and I go in and help my clients be compliant with environmental health and safety. Uh, We've got other people that go in for finance and insurance, HR assistance as well, too. But my area of expertise is the environmental health and safety world. Uh, That's where I kind of, my niche is. Uh, So I go in and I complete audits for clients. Uh, I also train employees as well, too, on how to be safer in the workplace. I like to teach employees different techniques about how to go about maybe changing their behaviors in any given workday. There's different things out there that they may not understand. We have a young workforce that's coming in to to the workforce that they may assume that they know what they're doing, but they really don't. And they may tell you one thing. However, you can easily find out through training whether or not you've got that person adequately trained in safety. So uh, I, I train employees. Uh, then also, I work with management at each one of my clients to go through uh, their like past history with safety. Where have their losses been? Where have where do they improve at? Uh, we want to talk about how to manage hazards, how to identify hazards, and make sure that we're correcting them in the workplace because those hazards are going to jump up and eventually bite them in the long run if they don't do anything about it. Uh, so we talk about those we talk about areas of improvement and how we can continue to build a safety culture uh, at their facilities because that's ultimately what they're looking for now my one of my other realms i'm also a team supervisor so i manage a team of about six field consultants Uh, i'm one of them as well too Uh, we're spread out geographically across my region but uh, i help with the admin and kind of manage a, a book of business about 600 clients or so uh, we all, we, my main goal is to try to make them all happy with what we do, and uh, I instill that into my team to make sure that they go out and uh, service clients just like how I would service clients. Well, it sounds like the companies that you work with and the team that you work with are all very lucky to have you. <laughs> well, thank you. And then I guess my final realm would be, uh, I, I kind of self-appointed in this particular area, but nobody's told me to stop doing this, and I kind of head up our regulatory training team for our field staff. So the boots on the ground that are actually going out to our clientele and doing on-site environmental health and safety compliance work, 
we need to continue on with professional development to stay ahead of the game in the field. They need to know what's going on out there. And I try to make sure that our staff is informed with all the different changes of regulations and how it might affect them. And then also how to discuss these changes of regulations with clients. What's the best approach to take? I uh, put together these things called regulatory reviews where I send this information out to our team and it educates them on how to interpret a regulation but also how to deliver that regulation to a client so that they can best comply with that. Could be something as simple as, um, you know, adding personal protective equipment such as eye shields to a grinder, uh, you know, is, is a shop grinder, which is like an abrasive wheel. They use it to sharpen parts. There are different compliance comp components to that piece of equipment. One of them is an eye shield that's on there, you know, and I go into every single shop that I, in each grinders seems like the the eye shields are pushed back and up and out of the way the eye shields are completely dusty covered nobody ever wants to use them so in the interpretation i do with my clients and maybe the field staff i'm like guys actually why it's not a requirement that you have to have an eye shield on a grinder you just have to have eye and face protection so why don't we get rid of these eye shields that nobody is using but actually require a face shield to be there that the employee can put on and then they're going to have much better protection to keep them, you know, the sparks and all the, you know, little flying whirly bird debris from getting into their eyes and all that. So uh, it, it's trying to break down a, a regulation to make it what's the most useful format we can protect the employee out there. So I try to train our team on that as well. That's great. I mean, you are what we would call a safety expert. <laughs> Clearly, you know <laughs> what you're doing. Uh, and you spend so much one-on-one -on -one time working with the company leaders and safety professionals. I imagine you have a lot of firsthand knowledge on how companies can get dinged by regulators. So speaking generally, what should leaders keep top of mind in order to avoid regulation violations? That's a good question. I would say main thing is be in the know. The more you're educated, the more you're going to be able to be ahead of the game and always be prepared to, you know, I break it down for my clients, like, look, you're in one of these three categories. You're in complacency, compliance, or you got a culture. It's one of the three C's that are out there. Complacency is we know of this thing called OSHA out there, <laughs> uh, but we're like, don't look, don't tell, like, you know, <laughs> completely covering the ears, covering the mouth. Like, uh, we know it's there, but we'll just take our chances when they come in here. And unfortunately, Yikes. there are some employers that are like that. And I, I hate to hear that because they're going about it the wrong way. Mm -hmm. But we have other companies that do try. They try, but they are like, you know what? I know we need to be safe, but I'm trying to watch my bottom line. And let's just be compliant. I only want to do the trainings that we have to do. I only want to do the bare minimum of what we have to do just to be compliant with those regulations. And that's not really what these regulators are looking for either. You know, it can get into technical sessions like, you know, are we going to actually find a company because they're compliant, but are they actually practicing safety? No, they kind of did what they needed to do just to you know get above that level. Right. So compliance isn't the right way to go either. But culture is what you're really aiming for. And culture is where, OK, we've done everything we can to the facility, but we're not going to stop there. We have the we, we practically have wrapped our employees in bubble wrap, but we're not going to stop there. <laughs> we're going to make sure that they understand what they're doing out in the shops. From a compliance officer's standpoint, that's what they want. They want to walk up to any employee on the shop floor and be like, you see this piece of equipment over here? 
how would you operate that? And the employee walks over. Well, first, we got to put on our personal protective equipment. Second, we got to make sure that we're following the SOPs, which are written out right here next to the machine. I got to make sure that I put this guard in place. And they're going to go down a path that the compliance officer is going to be like, this facility did their homework. They did their training the right way. They didn't just, you know, send somebody through a computer module or they just didn't have like a, you know, just a, you know, blow through a training as fast as possible. They actually mm -hmm. made sure that their employees understood what they were trying to teach that employee so that they're not going to get hurt on that piece of machinery. Yeah. You know, it, it's not hard to be compliant, but it is hard to build a culture and it's, it takes a lot of work. And it means that, you know, another tip, I guess, for a leader and how to avoid regulations is be present mm -hmm. in your safety program. I, I work with companies all the time where they pass, you know, somebody signed up with us as a consulting services and KPA, but they'll pass it off on to somebody else below them. Right. And I, it, it can work that way. But if you don't have buy in from the top level of management, you're setting yourself up for failure, in my opinion. Sure. The, the employees got to see from the man, the top level manager, the the plant manager or the president, whoever that person might be, that when they walk on that safety, that floor, they're going to put on their safety glasses just like that employee would. And if that mm -hmm. employee sees the manager or president putting on their safety glasses, then they believe that, OK, my president believes in safety. Therefore, I guess this really does streamline throughout the entire uh, company. And that's where you're building upon that culture as well. Sure. Leading by example, we love to see it. What would you say that OSHA is really focusing on for 2022? What should we be really narrowing in on? Yeah. So <laughs> COVID-19 still lingering out there. Uh -huh. Yeah, that one is. Um, so OSHA did have some different uh, emergency temporary standards that they tried to, to enact in the past uh, year or so. Uh, back at late 2021, they tried with the vaccination mandate, but that was recently uh, found to be unconstitutional by the Supreme Court. So that one uh, did not actually go through. And that would have been a big precedent set across the entire country. It would have given OSHA some power that maybe they never had in the past. Mm -hmm. uh, but really, even though that got shot down in the Supreme Court, that doesn't mean that OSHA is going to stop with COVID-19. We understand that that is a very important agenda item for the current president's administration. And it is a public safety issue. It's a workplace issue as well, too. It's still a hazard in the workplace. And just because, you know, a mandate on vaccinations got shot down, that doesn't mean that OSHA is still not going to cite an employer for exposing workers to potential COVID-19 outbreaks. Mm -hmm. You know, there's still, we still need to actually social distance. We still need to provide barriers and, uh, you know, ensure that people are wearing face masks in the workplace. Because unfortunately, right now, uh, here in January of 2022, that it's still pretty uh, rampant out there that COVID-19 is spreading just different variants. Yep, I know. It seems like we're not out of the woods yet. <laughs> no, no. Other areas that they're focusing on, uh, they just did increase their uh, maximum penalties for, you know, a serious violation uh, and willful violations. They do this every year. I, I don't like to talk about it too much. I don't like scare tactics, but they did just increase that to keep up with inflation. They do it every year. So mm -hmm. um, max, for example, max penalty you could get for a willful violation. A willful violation is we discovered through our investigation, you knowingly 
expose your employees to this hazard. You know, maybe there was like a, a, a piece of electrical line that was uh, severed and then the employee was working around that and the employee brought it to your attention and you said, nope, you keep doing your job. I mean, that's a willful violation right there. Max penalty on that is about $145,000. So, um, yeah, that that's probably going to get the max penalty if you pull something like that as an employer. Yeah. Uh, but like I said, don't like to talk too much about just, you know, the scariness of fines, but. Sure. Well, it's good to keep in mind because ultimately, you know, if you were to get dinged like that, it, that really affects the bottom line. So cutting corners in the end is an expensive thing to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a couple other uh, focus areas though. It's not, not just COVID-19. So, uh, the they do have a proposal out there to make heat illness a federal regulation. Okay. So right now, it is actually a state regulation in the state of California, I believe also in Florida. But like state of California requires that, you know, you have a policy on for outdoor workers providing water, shade, and then rest time as well, too. So if they take this and make it a federal regulation, that means all employers that have employees working outside will have to develop a heat illness policy and make sure their employees are trained on recognition of heat illness related uh, symptoms as well, too. Do you know if that was in reaction to the 2021 heat wave or is it just coincidental that that's happening this year? I think it's coincidental. Um, huh. I think... Unfortunately, I shouldn't say unfortunately, but California does set a precedent a lot of times for making regulations that just kind of expand across the country as well, too. Got it. Uh, A lot of times they're good regulations. I mean, yeah, we had a heat wave that did go on, but I mean, heat illness has been something that's been around, I mean, forever. Sure. And I think it's a good idea now that, you know, there's different injuries or illnesses that employees suffer from every year. In fact, unfortunately, we hear about deaths from time to time. Uh, as well, too. I mean, this can, in fact, impact a lot of different areas, not just employers that you would think of like in construction, but right. um, it can even go up to a level of, uh, you know, if you've got a, a, a football team, like an NFL team that's practicing outside, I mean, they would have to create a heat illness policy as well, too. Oh, that's interesting to think about. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, they are employers. so <laughs> Right. Makes sense. Okay, so we know OSHA is top of mind for everyone, but what other regulatory bodies should companies be paying mind to and where are they putting their attention this year? Uh, well, we've got the Environmental Protection Agency. I feel like OSHA and EPA sometimes go hand in hand with each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, so mm-hmm. OSHA is obviously the safety side. EPA is the environmental side. So what uh, are the big things that they are kind of taking a look at this year that could impact a lot of people is they're trying to define what navigable waters of the United States are. And they're coming close to a, a definition. In fact, the Supreme Court's even involved in on this. So right now, if you interact with navigable waters of the United States, a lot of times you're going to re- be required to have some kind of permit. You know, if you're discharging to those waters, if you are storing chemicals near those waters, then you may have to have a spill plan. You may have to have a National Pollution Discharge Elimination System permit if you're discharging to those waters. So what's come up is like, uh, for instance, uh, areas that were classified as maybe a wetland. Mm -hmm. Okay, is a wetland a navigable water of the United States? By the old EPA definition, they're saying, yes, it is. However, new interpretation is, well, 
can I put a canoe in there and <laughs> paddle around in there? <laughs> if, if I can, then it's uh, navigable water by the United States. If I can't, then that's just land. And in fact, I read an article about this the other day. There's a couple out of, I think it's Idaho, that are trying to build their home on a piece of property that's basically on a wetland. Oh, wow. And the EPA say, you can't build your home here. It's a wetland. <laughs> Seems like a bad idea, right? <laughs> I know. Yeah, it doesn't seem like, yeah, like, why would you want that piece of property? But <laughs> to each their own there. To each uh, their but, own, that's right. <laughs> but uh, the uh, EPA saying, no, you can't build here. It's a wetland. However, they're like, we can't put a canoe in there and, you know, travel around. It's like a swamp. <laughs> and so this can set a precedent on other companies being like, well, wait a minute. Yeah, we're near a wetland, but... It's not navigable water of the United States. Therefore, we don't have to have that type of a permit then. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, we'll just have to see how that one plays out. Yeah. Outside of the EPA, I would say a lot of times it's not really a regulatory agency, but a lot of people don't consider environmental health and safety uh, litigators. Uh, so it's not necessarily a regulatory agency that you should be concerned about, but it's attorneys and usually on the safety side of it. Yeah, OSHA may hit you with, you know, a citation for non-compliance. But if this OSHA citation was in regards to an employee injury, where you better be more concerned about is that employee's attorney and are they going to be reaching out to sue on this civil level for, you know, personal damages or for injuries and looking for a settlement. That's a great point. Yeah, like um Back in, I think it was about 2015, there was a case I was kind of involved in where I was kind of an expert witness, but it was in Pennsylvania. There was a man that was ran over by a forklift, unfortunately. Oh, no. um, it was backed over in the facility. The gentleman that was driving the forklift had some frequent safety issues, some violations or write-ups in the past. And also his training was pretty sketchy as well, too. Um, I don't believe the facility actually trained him. I think they threw together a training at the last second to try to appease the OSHA officer. Yikes. Uh, so, you know, when something like that happens, of course, litigators will get involved. And the first thing they always ask for is, I need to see the OSHA report on this. Yep. And if the OSHA agency wasn't identified, no, number one, that's going to raise red flags with OSHA. And we're going to start with a higher citation amount. Number two, mm -hmm. you know, it looks like you are trying to hide stuff here and you're pretty much kind of admitting the negligence part on your own company. Yeah. So that, that gentleman ended up with about nine surgeries. Oh no. And I think the settlement was somewhere around $9 million. Ooh. So I don't know of an OSHA penalty that's ever gotten that high. Uh, but obviously, you know, when you have a serious injury, that's obviously going to make the, dollar amount skyrocket in a settlement. Yeah, no kidding. No, that's really, that's good to think about because I think when we're talking about this stuff, we do tend to really focus at least financially around what the fines from a regulatory perspective look like, but you're right. Those settlements and the personal um, kind of attorney side of things can get really pricey as well. Yeah. It's not only that, it's also the pu publicity as well too, and your reputation. Yep. Your reputation gets damaged as well, you know, and it could also be bad for business depending on the outcome of it as well. Yeah. Oh, definitely. So keeping all of that in mind, what best practices do you advise for companies that are looking to really stay out of regulatory crosshairs and also litigation and things like that in 2022? 
Yeah, uh, so I would probably say, I, I, going back to my comment earlier about staying in the know and being educated, if you don't have necessarily the time to put into researching regulations or, you know, uh, doing that on your own, then hire an EHS professional or hire an organization like a, a consulting firm to actually keep you in the know. I mean, that I think that's imperative. Education, like I said, is the biggest way you're going to stay out of regulatory uh, pressure. So, you know, if you don't have the ability to do it yourself, which I think doing it yourself is probably the best practice that you could actually do uh, for yourselves to make sure you're investing in your own company. But yeah, another way to invest in it would also be hire a professional or work with a consulting firm. You know, which would you rather have? Uh, you know, if you work with a like a consulting firm like us, I mean, it's staying organized. That's another key thing. Um, you know, a professional is usually going to keep you organized as well, too. So would you rather be, you know, OSHA officers there, regulatory officers there, and you're fumbling around for your programs, your records? Right. You know, they're like, oh, where, where's the training for this guy's forklift certification? Well, hang on. I got to go up to the HR office and find that. And they can't find it. And, you know, you, at that point, you got an OSHA officer in your conference room that's just sitting there like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's not a good look. No. <laughs> yeah. But if you're working with a company like like a KPA, for instance, you can, you know, all of a sudden like, oh, where's your training form on this uh, forklift driver? Oh, yeah, let me go into my software platform here and click, 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 click. Oh, here you go. Print. Here's your uh, forklift certification. Oh, all right. That's all I needed to see. Excellent. And it's like, wait a minute. Well, where's your programs? It's all right here, man. It's all right here in my software. You know? Yeah. And it's easily accessible by all of our employees. So you can. You know, go out, out there and ask John Smith, you know, he can get into this program just as well, too. And he can mm -hmm. pull up all these uh, training programs. And um, at that point, he's got all the status fingertips, just like I'm providing it to you as well, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it sounds like that's a good thing to have on your side if you want to stay organized. And I'd say make sure you stay involved in your EHS program. Don't just pass it off to somebody else. You know, if you're uh, if you're running a company. You want to be in the know of what's all is going on. You don't want to get the phone call one night where, oh, yeah, you know, John Doe was ran over by the forklift last night. Well, right. OK, is everything OK? Uh, what do we need to do at this point? I don't know what, what's going on. And you're in crisis mode at that point. Well, you could also say to yourself, well, we can call our EHS professional and they'll tell us exactly what to do. You know. I mean, there's, I mean, there's other simple things. Don't lie. <laughs> I've been working with companies where people have, you know, flat out lied to regulatory officers and that just doesn't Ugh. go well at all. They do investigate. I read an article just the other day in one of my safety magazines about a 65 year old man who lied about uh, whether or not an employee actually was his employee. He said it wasn't his employee. Oh, and of no. course, you know, that one's pretty easy to figure out in the long run. Yeah. And now he's serving a 30 day jail sentence with like five years of house arrest after that, just for lying about whether or not an employee was his. Oh, shoot. Okay. Honestly, is the best policy. Exactly. You know, don't plead ignorance as well too. Like I said, with earlier complacency, it happens a lot where it's like, oh, I didn't know that was regulation. They don't want to hear that either. No. <laughs> Be in the know. <laughs> you know, understand safety programs. If you understand your own safety program, your own environmental program, you don't have to plead ignorance. Uh, like yep. said, be visible with your safety efforts, with your employees. It goes a long way with them. And, and I, I'd say the last thing is probably invest in safety. So I, I mentioned the word invest earlier. So investing in safety is 
you know, don't make your employees, don't require them to wear safety glasses from the 1980s. You know, yeah. just spend a little bit of money, get them something a bit more up to date with 2022, you know, maybe provide them with some new high visibility vest or a, a great example might be like a, a shoes for cruise program. Mm-hmm. You know, right now, when it comes to OSHA regulations, it's a little bit gray area, but in some certain situations, you don't have to pay for your employees safety boots. But a lot of companies I find do pay for safety boots and safety shoes, and the employees love that. It's such a value add that, you know, it's personal protective equipment. I don't want to have to go out and buy my own shoes, my own boots, and wear them here where they're just going to tear them up. You know, that's an expense for that employee. You know, if you invest some money into that for the employee, it goes a long way. And, you know, if you saved yourself a crush crushed foot injury, yeah, <laughs> probably paid yourself back in about three times what you originally invested, honestly. Totally. Yep. Makes sense. Well, thank you, Zach, so much for talking with us today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I had a lot of fun. This is good. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of The Safety Meeting, KPA's podcast that makes you smarter about current trends and best practices in workforce safety. If you like what you're hearing, please consider subscribing and leaving us a rating or review. It helps other listeners like you find us. Stay safe out there.